0: So we're going to continue looking at uh, Luke's Gospel today, Uh, looking once again at who Jesus is. As we begin, uh, let me pray for us that God might reveal his Son again to us and we will see the wonder of his Son. So let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we ask that as we consider Jesus' time of testing in the wilderness, that you might reveal him to us again so that we will know him even better that we might have complete assurance of His salvation and that we too might not be led into temptation. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. This morning we have the opportunity to speak uh, and consider an ever-present challenge in the Christian life, temptation and testing. Uh, I suspect we often and usually avoid speaking about this topic because it can make us quite uncomfortable. Uh, even as I mention the word temptation, you might be thinking of recent times when you've uh, failed. You've, uh, temptation has got the better of you. Of course, sometimes temptation can be harmless. Uh, we often jest about our temptations. Uh, so let me say from the outset that no one is going to send you to prison for 20 years of hard labour... Uh, because you failed to meet your own standards regarding your chocolate consumption. Uh, I won't even share with you my uh, favourite unhealthy treats, uh, because we call them temptations for a reason. On on the other hand, there are those who deeply struggle with addictions. Uh, Pornography, alcoholism, drugs, technology... Uh, or whatever it might be. There are people who struggle with addictions uh, and are constantly driven and they uh, feel helpless and unable to resist their temptations. They are racked by an all-consuming guilt. Uh, we might say that they are the two extremes of temptation, the trivial treats and the really serious addictions. As disciples of Jesus Christ... I'd like to suggest that we actually find ourselves somewhere in the middle of those extremes. For our experiences of life, uh, which are confirmed by the Scriptures, is a life of temptation, where our faith is being tested day by day, where we have to make decisions whether we will honour God with every thought, word and deed. Uh, The Apostle James calls us to accept the testing of our faith with joy uh, because he sees that it's an opportunity, this process that we go through, uh, will help us grow in spiritual maturity. Uh, Jesus taught us to pray that God would not lead us into temptation, uh, times of testing. And as we see in our passage today, that Jesus himself was tested as followers of Jesus, we expect to be tempted. But what exactly is being tempted? What is coming under scrutiny? Uh, those are good questions to ask because we have to know what we're facing, knowing what we're being tested in. Uh, like those HSC students uh, amongst us, part of our 6pm congregation, who are now able to do their trials I doubt many of them would be rocking up to their exams and asking, well, what subject are we being tested on today? No, we need to know what Christian temptation is, what is being tested. And knowing what uh, temptation is from God's perspective, we we can then ask ourselves, what are the consequences if we fall into, into temptation what have been the consequences if Jesus had fallen into temptation? Now, I'd like to start this morning, as you see on your outline there, uh, back in the Old Testament. Uh, there are a few passages that set the groundwork and help us to understand temptation and its consequences. Uh, they will guide us in understanding who Jesus is and why it is vitally important for our salvation, that he doesn't succumb to the devil's schemes. So the first passage I'd like to look at there, you'll see on your outline, uh, is Adam and Eve's temptation in the Garden of Eden. So flick back to Genesis chapter 3 at the beginning of your Bibles. Uh, You remember that God had given Adam and Eve a place, a garden. It was a place of abundant blessing, everything that they might have needed He'd given them purpose to rule over the uh, creatures, to name them all, all the creatures in God's creation. And God had given Adam one clear instruction. Back in chapter 2, verse 16, it says, "'You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, "'but you must not eat from the tree "'of the knowledge of good and evil. "'From the day that you eat it, "'from it you will certainly die.'" So God's instruction was clear. So it's the crafty snake which came to test Adam and Eve's obedience to God's command. Uh, It made some subtle suggestions to them. Uh, I I think it's a bit like a fisherman who throws out the the burley, the the innards of the, the fish, the fish guts, to attract and lure the fish to make it easier to catch them. The, the snake makes these suggestions, the first one you can see there in Genesis 3 verse 1, uh, it comes in the form of a question, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Uh, that question is intended to cause them to doubt, to make them hesitate about what God had said. The second suggestion in verse 4 causes them to distrust God's instruction to them. Uh, No, you will not, you will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. Uh, Do you see how that works? Uh, So doubt about God's word and then deceive them into distrusting what God had told them. It's a lie, Uh, eating the fruit would certainly bring death into the world. In in its third suggestion, the snake encourages Adam and Eve's Eve to display, uh, disobey. In verse five, he says, uh, "In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil." So it's effectively saying, "Why would you trust and obey God if He's actually keeping you from knowing the truth, hindering you in some way?" Uh, And the snake offers Adam and Eve uh, autonomy, to be like God, to be able to make decisions for themselves, to live as they would desire, self-determination. Therefore, the crafty snake has made them doubt God's Word, distrust it, and through this final deception, Eve's passions get the best of her. She fails to obey God's Word by eating what had been what she had been commanded not to, and Adam's standing idly by—you see that in verse six. Rather than loving and correcting and guiding his wife in God's word, uh, he too disobeys God uh, by eating the forbidden fruit. So they fail the test, doubt, and distrust, resulting in disobedience. The issue here. What they're being tested and tempted to do is to doubt God's word to them, to not trust his clear instruction. That's the definition of temptation and testing that scripture is talking about. It's a testing of our trust and obedience to God and his word. Uh, The result of failing to uh, trust God's word is disobeying God. That's sin. Uh, We know the consequences of sin, we experience death and judgment because God's anger comes on us because we have rejected Him. We are separated from Him and our experience of this life, uh, of this whole world is that of futility, corruption and pain. Can you think of occasions in your own life when you've been tested like this? When, you've been caused, when you doubt God and his good word to you. To be honest, I, I see in the world around us all the time, we're being bombarded with snake-like lies, snake-type lies and deception all the time. For example, you may have heard uh, recently when we were having the census that the atheists, the humanists and the rationalists were evangelising us big time telling us and trying to convince us that our faith is irrelevant for the census record. Uh, They're trying to convince Australians that faith in God is irrational. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if some Christians thought that such suggestions were a reasonable idea. So, from Adam and Eve, we learn that temptation is the challenge to, uh, to trust God's Word to us. Uh, sin results when we doubt God's Word, when we disobey God's Word, uh, we, we don't trust His Word as He desires. The next key section of Scripture that I'd like us to turn to and consider uh, in order to understand Jesus' temptation is Israel's experience in the wilderness. So, I trust you remember, either through reading uh, Exodus or watching a A cartoon during lockdown uh, about Technicolor coats. Uh, God rescues his people from Egypt, he brings his chosen redeemed people to Mount Sinai and he gives them the law. Uh, Starting in Exodus 20 he starts with, I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods beside me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below, or in the waters under the earth. So, it goes on, the the Israelites commit themselves to obeying the law, to covenant faithfulness. They do that in Exodus 24. And at the end of that chapter, Moses goes back up to the top of Mount Sinai to receive God's instructions. For 40 days, he's up there receiving God's word. Particularly, uh, we read in chapters 25 to 31 about the tabernacle, God's tent, the place where he will dwell amongst his people. Uh, Before those 40 days are up, and if you flick over to Exodus 32, Exodus 32, before those 40 days are up, we read... When the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make gods for us who will go before us. Because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So you remember Moses', uh, Moses brother Aaron, he gathers the gold from the people and he makes for them a golden idol. In the form of a calf. Israel is impatient and they fail the test, they sin, they doubt God's messenger, they reject God's first commandment to them, disobeying him by worshipping an idol. So, God is angry with them and judges them, he's on the verge of completely wiping them out until Moses intercedes for them. Uh, We'll return to Moses' intercession in a moment. This failure by Israel to worship God, to serve God as he desires, is a constant problem in Israel's history. Uh, You remember when we looked at two kings a few months ago, that Israel was eventually cast out of the Promised Land because they failed to worship God as the first command had stipulated. Idolatry and not worshipping God, as He would told them, was was that constant temptation for them. So Israel fails with trusting God's Word at the beginning of their wilderness experience. And they fail time and time again uh, as they make their way to the promised land. Uh, We see time and again that God relents from His judgment. He remains faithful to his promises. He is gracious and merciful to them. So let's turn to the next passage that Alison read out for us from Numbers 13. uh, The time when Israel was supposed to uh, come uh, to an end of their wilderness journey uh, experience. Numbers 13, and I just want to point you to verse 1. And God instructs Moses where God instructs Moses to spy out, to scout out the land. And the key phrase in that verse is at the end of that verse, where he says, The land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites, God had promised to give them the land. He had promised it to Abraham, and God was on the verge of fulfilling that promise. In Numbers 13, Israel only needed to trust God, to obey Him, to be courageous. We read down in verse 25 that after 24 days, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, the scouts returned. Israel, they showed Israel the fruit of the land. Uh, 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 you can imagine cutting off grapes, and it takes two men to carry this. Gr- Bunch of grapes back to uh, Kadesh, where they were staying. Showing Israel the fruit of the land, they report how this place is a a great place of blessing. However, Israel is not courageous; they doubt and distrust God's promise to them. So, if you see in verse four, uh, chapter fourteen—sorry, chapter fourteen, verse two—they say. If only we had died in the land of Egypt or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why is Yahweh bringing us into this land to die by the sword? Our wives and children will become plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Israel cannot trust God's promise to give them the land they've rejected God's good gift to them and once again they come under God's judgment. God's judgment, as you remember, was to wipe out that whole generation. For 40 years they wandered around the wilderness until that generation had died. Twice, after two 40-day periods, Israel ends up rejecting God and his clear instruction to them they succumb to temptation, they doubt God, they fail to trust Him and so they disobey Him. They fail the test of faithfulness to God's Word. Why does God persist with Israel for so long? Well, turn over to the next book of your Bible, Deuteronomy nine. Uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating chapter to read and I really encourage you to read it uh, later. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 9 in verse 18, Moses tells us what he has to do on behalf of Israel. What he had to do to turn away God's anger because of the golden calf and because of their rejection of uh, God's promise in Uh, when they're in Kadesh. So we read about the golden calf incident in verse 18. Uh, Moses is, is giving a speech, he says, I fell down like the first time in the presence of Yahweh for 40 days and 40 nights. I did not eat food or drink water because of all the sin you committed, doing what was evil in Yahweh's sight and angering him. I was afraid of the fiercest Fierce anger Yahweh had directed against you because He was about to destroy you. But again, Yahweh listened to me on that occasion. And and you see down in verse 23, He says He had to do exactly the same thing when they rejected God's gift of the Promised Land. Extremely costly, self-sacrificial intercession... 40 days, not eating nor drinking, continuous prayer, seeking God's forgiveness on behalf of unfaithful people. Israel required Moses' extreme intercession, almost bringing himself to the point of death in order to convince God to relent from his judgment. It is through fa- Moses' faithful intercession that God relents from that judgment on faithless Israel. That's all the background, we're over halfway through. Let's now look at another wilderness experience, a time of testing in the desert. Flick back to Luke 4 in your Bibles. Hopefully that groundwork will help you understand what Jesus is facing here. Uh, Listen again how Luke introduces Introduces us to this time of testing. Luke 4, verses 1 and 2. Then Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. So God brings his Son by his Spirit into the wilderness. 40 days of testing. Uh, Does that sound familiar to you, after what we've just looked at? Jesus is is really experiencing the same testing as Israel after the Exodus. The question is not not merely whether Jesus will remain faithful, uh, whether he will trust and obey God's Word, Uh, that is certainly on the line. The equally important question is whether Jesus will be a faithful mediator. Will Jesus remain faithful so that he can intercede for us, for all sinners? Will Jesus uh, reject the deceiver's lies, unlike Adam? Will Jesus remain obedient, unlike Israel? Will Jesus be able to intercede for sinners, walking the path of extremely costly, self-sacrificial supplication? Like Moses had. Uh, So let's see how this uh, unfolds, let's consider how the devil seeks to test Jesus. Firstly, he tempts Jesus to use his power and status for his own purposes. He suggests in verse 3, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Uh, The deceiver actually doesn't doubt that Jesus is the Son of God. God himself had proclaimed that when John had washed Jesus in the Jordan, back in uh, Luke 3, chapter uh, verse 22. Rather, the, the devil is deceiving Jesus just like he had Adam, challenging Jesus to become and act like God, to use his status and power as the Son of God. Uh, Jesus could easily have satisfied his hunger, hunger by... Uh, recreating the stone as bread. It's it's certainly his immediate need, satisfying his hunger is what he desires. But is that what God desires? It's that same temptation Adam and Eve faced, uh, autonomy, self-determination, satisfying your own passions. And let's not be dismissive here, Jesus is truly being tested. It says here, he was hungry and I suspect after 40 days he would be seriously hungry. Yet to fail here has huge implications for Jesus. The path to intercede on behalf of the sinners actually, uh, actually ends up at the cross. If Jesus takes the easy road here, what will he do when he has to lay down his life for sinners? Would he seek autonomy, deciding what's best for himself? Or would he live in obedience to God? Uh, Fortunately, Jesus demonstrates what he will do. He relies on God's word and he quotes from Deuteronomy 8. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit more of that quote from Deuteronomy 8 where Moses proclaims what Moses is saying to Israel at that time. This is what uh, Jesus is referring back to. "'Remember that Yahweh your God led led you on the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness, so that He might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commands. He humbled you by letting you go hungry. Then He gave you manna to eat, which you and your ancestors had not known.' so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of Yahweh. Jesus humbles himself before God. He trusts that God will provide. He trusts every word that that God proclaims, even when it means suffering and death. As that passage says, we now know what's in Jesus' heart through his obedience during testing. The devil's second test is again the challenge to take an easy path. As Jesus and the devil survey all the kingdoms of the world, uh, the devil says, verse 6, I will give you their splendour and this authority because it has been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all this will be yours. Again, the the snake's suggestion, uh, it's it's very similar like the snake's suggestion to Adam and Eve in the garden. These words are dripping with lies. The devil does not have authority, splendor, glory and authority are not his to give. But as you see in verse 7, this is a test about worship. Serving and worshipping false gods. And as we've seen, Israel failed that test at Mount Sinai when they worshipped the golden calf. The offer for Jesus' false worship is the opportunity to receive glory immediately rather than suffer death, uh, to be exalted without the resurrection. Yet Jesus won't compromise on his worship of God. He, rema- he reminds us of God's Word, this time from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Again, let me read a slightly more about what uh, Moses said at that time, uh, which Jesus is quoting. Moses says, Deuteronomy 6 from verse 13, Fear Yahweh your God, worship Him only, and take your, take your oaths in His name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you, For Yahweh your God, who is among you, is a jealous God. Otherwise, Yahweh your God will become angry with you and obliterate you from the face of the earth. Jesus will not compromise on his worship of God. He knows the consequences, death and judgment, because God is jealous. He will only be worshipped in the manner he desires. And Jesus certainly cannot mediate for the sins of the world if he compromises. So, once again, he remains faithful to God by obeying his word. Uh, The final test begins at the top of the temple. Uh, This time, the devil wises up. If Jesus keeps quoting scripture back to him, why not use scripture to test Jesus? Uh, So, he says... Uh, in Luke 4 from verse 9, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will give His angels orders concerning you to protect you, and they will support you with their hands, so that you you will not strike your foot against a stone. That's a quote from Psalm 91. It's a lovely psalm. It's a psalm which encourages us to trust God as our as our fortu, fortress and refuge. It's a psalm which makes a promise. God promises to protect those who trust Him. Protection from judgment, from plagues and from harm. And for God will even send His angels to catch and support His faithful one. Can you see what Satan is doing here? is such a shrewd test. The truth of Psalm 91 is presented in such a crafty manner that it's hard, it's oft, we often find it hard to discern what is the course of action that we should take. Uh, but Jesus has no doubts. Uh, remember again how Israel failed to trust God's promise uh, to give them that promised land? Will Jesus entrust himself to God's promises here and prove it by throwing himself off the top of the temple? Well, the thing is, Jesus doesn't actually doubt God's faithfulness. Uh, He continues in Deuteronomy 6, uh, following on from that passage he's already quoted, Do not test Yahweh your God as you tested him at Massa. Carefully observe the commands of Yahweh your God the decrees and statutes he has commanded you do what is right and good in Yahweh's sight so that you may prosper and so that you may enter and possess the good land Yahweh your God swore to give your ancestors by driving out all your enemies before you as Yahweh has said God had sworn to give Israel that land He was going to drive out the inhabitants before them again god's word is clear living in obedience to god and his word he will give you what he has promised jesus doesn't doubt god he doesn't need to test god because he knows god is faithful this whole series of tests uh, reminds me of the Indiana Jones movies. Uh, every movie, Indiana Jones faces a whole set of tests and trials, uh, which he must carefully navigate, so that he is proven uh, to, to be worthy to protect the Ark of the Covenant, or children, or uh, the drink from the car- Carpenter's Cup. So what do we learn about Jesus' time of testing? What has Jesus proven himself worthy in? Obviously, we see Jesus remains faithful to God where Adam and Eve and Israel failed miserably. In fact, uh, we might even say that Jesus is the new Adam. Uh, That's a big idea in uh, books like Romans, so I encourage you to have a look at the idea of the new Adam in, in uh, uh, ro- the middle chapters of Romans uh, later. The man who trusts and obey God, uh, despite all the, the deception and lies of the, of the devil, he, Jesus is um, likewise the faithful Israelite who lives in obedience to God and never doubts God's promises even though it means that Jesus must die on the cross. Uh, We note in verse 13 of Luke 4, we're told, uh, after the devil had finished every temptation, he departed for a time. The devil hasn't finished tempting Jesus because the cross, that will be Jesus' greatest test. Uh, We remember the, the painful anguish that jesus faced in the in the garden of gethsemane Uh, it shows how real and difficult the cross is for jesus at that time he he tells his disciples to pray that they won't fall into temptation it's on his mind he cries out to god not to pour the cup uh, all his judgment and wrath on him yet thankfully jesus remained faithful to god's will Uh, not what he might desire for himself. The great news is that Jesus proves himself uh, faithful through this greatest test. He obeys God by dying on the cross, a perfect mediator and intercessor for sins. He is then raised to life and exalted to the highest place. He's the eternal king and he's been given all glory not because the devil does, uh, has given him this, but it is God who has been faithful to his promises. Consequently, we have the best intercessor we could ever imagine. Jesus not only turned away God's anger for our sin, he has also dealt with our sin completely, bringing us the blessing of forgiveness in Jesus' name. We can have complete assurance that when we fail to trust and obey obey God, Jesus is there to intercede for us. He knows what we are going through. So as we face temptation or if we fall into temptation, Jesus is there to help us. He's there to forgive our sin. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews uh, puts it in Hebrews 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we might receive mercy And find grace in the time of need. Let me pray for us. Our great God and Father, we thank and praise you for the faithfulness of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. We thank you for the assurance that his faithfulness gives us, especially as we struggle to remain faithful to you. Thank you for your grace to us, your undeserved mercy, forgiving us our sin. Father, do not lead us into temptation. Deliver us by growing our faith in you. Help us to know your word to us, to hold firmly to it, so that when we face times of testing, you might be praised for our faithfulness to you and our reliance on our Saviour, in whose name we pray. Amen.